0: Good morning. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. My name is Tim Brandon. I'm not Dean Barham. And you're about to find out why. But that's okay. I'm glad you're here. Dean this morning is being an awesome dad because awesome dads do stuff with their awesome kids. And so Luke is on a mountain bike team a couple hours away having a mountain bike race he was part of with his team at school. There's only five or six of them I think in the circuit and so he wanted to make one because they're usually on Sundays. So he asked me to preach this morning, to which I said, idea, I like bicycles. say I go to the bicycle race, you go preach. <laughs> he didn't like that, but he's an awesome dad. That's where he is this morning. So we are glad that Dean and Melanie are with us and um, we love that their family is thriving. So what? So what? We're part of a—this is the third part of a three-part series entitled, So What? Looking at the first resurrection community in the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament, right after the four books that are called the Gospels, where there are accounts of Jesus' life, and the next book is called the Acts of the Apostles. And we're asking the the question, what—so what? Why does Easter matter? We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but why does that matter today? And so we're gonna talk about that. Because what happened was, since the beginning of time, when we were each made, Adam and Eve kind of being representative of us, is that we separated ourselves from God by the way we behave. Each one of us in our own way has become stubborn and separated from the intimate relationship that God wanted with us as our creator. And there we sit, kind of like a baby. A baby sitting there, big old full diaper. It's stinking. It's that kind of like when you want to get up and they walk and it kind of goes like this, you know? And it kind of of swings when they walk. And everybody knows what's going on. The baby knows what's going on. And baby's just sitting there. All you young parents are like, yeah, that was three this morning. That was what we did. And there we sit in our stinky, looking around like, I don't know what to do. I, I can't fix this. And just like a baby, we sit there and sometimes we just say, you know, it's stinky, but it's warm and it's mine. <laughs> and so it's into this stinky, stubborn world that God sends his son. And God sends his son not just to come and just be an example and say, hey, y'all do this. Come on, y'all do this. We do that as parents sometimes. Hey, sit up, act right. Right. Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came to show us how to love, how to sacrifice, how to be something that we couldn't be by ourselves. And then we killed him. That's what happened. But unlike a lot of the other people in the the history where there had been other people who said that they were there and they were the Messiah, Jesus was raised from the dead. And we find Peter here in the book of Acts telling this story to a huge group of thousands of people and the apostles have been with thousands of people before. We'd heard, seen various groupings of thousands when Jesus was alive, but this is a special different group. And Peter stands there in front of them, boldly. And I'm picturing Peter from The Chosen, that TV series uh, in my mind when I talk about this. It's been such a good series. If you haven't watched The Chosen, you need to find that. We're in, the se- I think season three is finished, starting season four filming. And it's just great to be able to see those men and women of the first century as real humans and the humanness. And so we see here in Acts 2 that there's this man standing there who's a total broken mess up. And I can so relate. And He's broken like a bicycle, like anything kind of a tool. He's just broken. But he's only broken until a certain point until he met Jesus. So this is some fancy preacher standing up on, on Sunday on Acts and, and telling these things. This is a the fisherman. They're hearing a fisherman sermon That may be worse than a doctor sermon. I'm not sure which one's worse, but a sermon by a fisherman. But guess what? That fisherman knew Jesus and that made him special. And Dean's done a great job of explaining to us how, just like this community, just how that community, our resurrection community is based on individuals having a story of Jesus changing their life. That's the difference. Peter didn't stand up and start telling the story. He told his story. He told that story that said, I was like this, but now I'm like this. Jesus was that difference. And Jesus is the difference today. That's the big deal with Easter. Easter. So Peter could stand there knowing the failures and the, and the denials that he had. He could stand there and talk about how wishy-washy he was. Say, so, yeah, I used to give like all the wrong answers when the apostles were there. I was the one who got out of the boat, but then I kind of started sinking. And he has this back and forth, but he's standing there telling his story. And the moment that he gets to the part where he says, but I handed all that off to Jesus. I handed it off to Jesus. And I've never been the same since. And would that we could live our lives in a day-to-day manner that could see through the eyes of heaven what today looks like. There's a, a one hour to YouTube called the Bema Seat or the Judgment Seat or the Judgment Seat of Christ or the Bema Seat of Christ. Google any of those things. Here's a QR code for it. This will be the best hour you spend thinking about how this life looks in view of heaven. So, this is the story of a man who has a uh, a life, and it's a, it's a one-hour monologue. It's a guy, Pastor Pete Briscoe, and he does a monologue on a stage, and he tells a story of being a person who's had this life, and then in the blink of an eye, Jesus comes back. He finds himself in heaven with the billions of souls that have ever lived at this one place, and the moments that he gets to spend, each person individually, miraculously, is able to spend one moment with Jesus that seems like a lifetime, and him and Jesus go through his whole life and talk about his whole life in terms of heaven. Super powerful. Great, great movie. You're not not gonna agree with everything in there. I don't agree with everything in there, but it's an incredible portrayal of how to look at life through the eyes of heaven. Strongly encourage you to do that. So we're gonna take a few moments and continue this third part of the series of Acts 2. If you wanna turn with me there into Acts chapter two, if you have a pew Bible there, it's page 772. And we're reading verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So the cliffhanger last week was, uh-oh, there was 120 of us yesterday. Now there's over 3,000 of us today. What happens next? So first let's talk about who these people were and why were they there. So this, again, there had been large gatherings, but typically when Jesus would teach, the people from that area would kind of gather around. You know, I would tell you, and you told your friend, and next thing you know, there were three or 4,000 people who were from that area kind of gathered to hear Jesus. Well, this isn't what we see here. What we see here earlier in verse 9 of this chapter, it talks about this group was from Asia, this group was from Rome, this group was from Phrygia, wherever Phrygia is. I'm not sure if you can go to the Phrygian Islands or something, but it sounds kind of pretty. I had came from all over Cappadocia. There were just people from the whole. I mean, continents came, and it talks about the languages and the, and the miracle of Pentecost. Part of the miracle there was that everyone could hear in their own native tongue. So, a varied, varied group here. Most were Jews, but we're also told there were people who had converted to Judaism. So, Gentiles who weren't Jew by race but were Jew by faith were also there. So, extremely diverse group. That's who they were, and why were they there? Well, the Jewish customs, and Jewish faith has multiple feasts. And this was a week-long feast called the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Harvest. And it was the beginning of wheat harvest. And so they would gather there. They would travel from all around. They would check into the Hotel of Jerusalem, Hilton or whatever. And they'd spend the week doing things, having feasts, celebrating God's goodness. And then they would all go home. And they'd done this for years. But this year was different. This year, only less than two months before this day, Jesus had been killed. And again, there have been other people who had been martyrs before. There have been good guys who had said, hey, I'm the the Messiah. Never really panned out that good. So it's not that they had never heard stories like that before. They had, but never had someone been raised from the dead who said he was the Messiah. These folks likely had never even heard the story of Jesus. Many had never even heard firsthand stories of, of the Messiah at all. They had just come to Pentecost from, say, Asia to Jerusalem And just began to hear stories and the rumors. And have you heard about so-and-so? You know how that kind of goes. And all of a sudden, Peter gets up and tells this sermon. And he gets in their face and he smacks them and says, yes, the one who came was Jesus. And yes, you killed him with the help of other evil men. And yes, he was the Messiah. And yes, he died for you. And yes, he wants to give you the Holy Spirit. And over 3,000 that day said, yes, we want to buy into that. We're tired of being in charge of our lives. We know the stories of who was to come, and you're telling us that Jesus was him. And 120 of them said, yes, we knew him, and we saw him, and that's who he was. And again, they were giving their stories that gave the validity of Peter's story that then became the story for the 3000s. And that's what we have. We have a story, but we need to have our story. So we look at this resurrection community and say, well, if we're going to be... Like them, That's the first kind of church group-ish kind of people we have there for Christianity after Christ. Well, what did they do? What were they about? What did they, what did they find important? So let's look at this a little bit closer. So it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You recall the last command, the last instruction Jesus gave before he was ascended? He's there. He's got the guys on the hill. People are there. He starts talking to them and says, you know, go baptizing them making disciples and teaching them all that I've commanded you to do. That was literally the last thing he said that we know of. It says, teaching them what I've commanded. So that's where they start. So like the apostles are, well, there's these people. What did we start? It's like, well, Jesus says, start teaching them. So let's start teaching them. And they start telling stories because so many questions were in their minds. You come from Asia, you come from Egypt and you say, so this is the Messiah. So what did he say? I know how to go to a temple. I know how to do sacrifices. But what's different about this Jesus and so they start talking about it. It's like there was this lame guy. Oh, remember Lazarus? Tell him about Lazarus. It's like oh, He kept saying, you heard it this way, but now I say this over here. They start explaining the differences between what Jesus had said and what everyone else had thought. And piece by piece, story by story, moment by moment, day by day, this community began to understand what we understand as the Gospels because it wasn't written down. There were no Gospels. They hadn't written it yet. There were no epistles. They couldn't say, well, in my letter to the Ephesians, we hadn't been there yet. He couldn't talk about the church fathers who had talked about the faith and make writings and commentaries. So that's one of the things that the early church did was they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which was to the teaching of Jesus. If you're a part of a resurrection community, you're part of some group that should be devoted to Jesus' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship also. This isn't fellowship like, you know, you're at Costco. Hi, you know, fist bump with the Aggie game kind of a thing. This is deep fellowship. This text talks about daily fellowship. This talks about sacrificial and generous fellowship. This is something also that marks a resurrection community. Now, breaking of bread listed here likely does mean the communion like we just partook, a Eucharist-type ceremonial breaking of bread. But the Jewish culture also includes a a ceremonial breaking of bread at any evening meal where you thank God for the bounty He's provided, that you have food to eat. And it sanctifies that time as a special holy time that you're sharing. And so we see here a, a breaking of bread Again, in worship time, which was actually daily originally, and then by the, before the end of the book, it becomes a weekly ceremony that we do or sacrament to remember. But early on, it was daily. And they met in the temple courts. And they had daily conversations. We would work things out and talk about what this meant and what that meant. And how are we going to do this? How are we going to love people? And again, these are people who are just a very huge blended group. So you share a meal with somebody, that's something. And you can imagine, you know, you, you can't go too far from here before you start complaining about the barbecue, right? Like, why do they put mustard in their barbecue? And these people from all over the place, sharing one another's homes, sharing one another's food, sharing the temple courts, one with another. And it mentions prayer there as the fourth thing they devote themselves to. Has there really ever been a time in the church's his history of great commitment or great revival that wasn't marked also by a great time of prayer? Not surprising at all. And it would be helpful because these things that they were committed to, that we also commit ourselves to, were important because they were going to be dispersed. You Remember, they would be kind of scattered from Jerusalem within a couple of generations. That'd be important to have these things as how we act as Christians. So let's look at that a little bit also uh, further down in verse 44, 45. It talks about having all things in common. This verse has been a bit of a a question mark in some people's minds, saying, well, are you talking about like a commune or something? Is this some kind of weird Woodstock thing? Let's all just kind of get together and be nice and share everything. Well, if you're in a commune, that means it's probably communism. And that, I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about. Especially if you look at the rest of the verses that are kind of in in, in the, particularly Acts. And we see here just a couple of verses later that they were meeting in homes. They still had homes. They still owned homes. That's where they were gathering. So we don't see people just wholesale giving things away. We see in chapter 4 also that not only did people have homes, but they were intermittently being generous as needs came up. These were specific needs that came up. So I think I'll sell my cow and use the money to buy your food. Individual instances, not wholesale. They just take it. We're just going to kind of do group ownership. We see in chapter five, we're told about Ananias and Sapphira who had a piece of property. They sold it and lied about how much they sold it for. And Peter tells them, he says, you know, it was yours to do with what you wanted to when you had it. And then when you sold it, you had money and that was at your disposal as well. Again, not the idea of group or joint ownership of property. In chapter 11, we see a Gentile group in Antioch that hears by prophecy that there be a famine in Judea, and they take up a special collection of their things to send to the Christians in Judea. Again, personal property being used and donated for the specific use of someone else. And even Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. So we don't have a classless group kumbaya kind of thing going on here in Acts. But we do have some pretty amazing sacrificial generosity. We have people who are saying, you know, I own something, but I'm holding it so lightly that if you need it, it's yours. And we see that today. I could tell you people who donated cars to, to people who needed them here. I can tell you about a family who paid a single mom's rent for, I think it was years, because she needed something. So there's a lot of financial generosity that some are able to be blessed with. ability to give. And then there's also who have the generosity, have the ability to receive really, really well. And we see this here in the first part of Acts. They met in the temple courts and this wasn't really a, so in the temple courts, because they spent a lot of time there before, this is a familiar place for them. This is where they would go and have teaching and and discourse and banter back and forth. They'll be praying together as well. This wasn't really a, a throwing away of the Jewish faith. They saw this as a culmination of the Jewish faith. Everything before had pointed to a Messiah, and now it was here. So why wouldn't you be in the temple to celebrate this? And their anticipation was that everyone else would also, eventually in the Jewish faith, come to see that Jesus was the Messiah and be equally as excited as they were. And they had glad hearts and sincere hearts. Sometimes that word is also used um, uh, sincerity of heart and kind of a oneness. And that word there is the only time that word is used in the New Testament, in the Greek. I don't know any Greek, but that's what they say. It's the only time it's used. The singleness of heart. It's a word that's used actually for soil. It's a soil that is smooth without stones. It's kind of interesting. So not unity of thought, unity of preference, but really a smoothness of what was going on. Like we're all doing this together. We're all going in the same direction. And the last verse here in 47, Jesus talks about, it it says, and the Lord added to the number daily. They weren't the ones adding people. Jesus is the one adding. Well, what's Jesus doing? He's dead, right? Well, no, he's not dead. He's alive. Just like he said, what was also in the end of Matthew, what he told him, he said, and what I will be with you always, right? So within just a couple of weeks, there's activity of Jesus that proves his promises were true. And this goes all through the book of Acts. It's really a book of Acts of Jesus through the disciples. I guess it was more of a subtitle. But in chapter 24 of Luke's gospel, he says that he will send the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the one sending the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. Chapter 7 is, he's seen by a dying martyr, Stephen. He's there comforting Stephen at the right hand of God when Stephen is stoned. Jesus is there. In chapter 9, Jesus converts Saul on the way to Damascus and creates a disciple. In chapter 16, Jesus is the one that opens Lydia's heart to the gospel. In chapter 23, we see him encouraging Paul in Jerusalem, saying, be of good cheer. And here in chapter 2, he's adding to their number daily. A resurrection community is always characterized by the ongoing activity of Jesus and his Holy Spirit. As an English scholar, Alexander McLaren warns us, so let us not think so exclusively of the past work of an ascended Christ that we forget the present work of an indwelling Christ. He is the ongoing life of his church. You see activity of Jesus around you today? Well, like I said, I'm no preacher. My dad was a preacher for 30 years. Would that he was here to be able to, to do his thing. He actually started, uh, he was part of a group that started a preaching school in Bangkok I was four. I didn't pick up a lot of it then. But so, so I'm not the preacher like Dean is, but, but Dean hasn't been here 25 years. And as, as one of your shepherds, I just want to take some time this morning and talk about this flock here, about this resurrection community that we have here. And any of the shepherds here can stand up and give testimony to this. We won't make you sit through all that. But as a representative of that group that love you and cherish you, I just want you to know some of the people you're sitting with that are part of this resurrection community, not good people, not people who do nice stuff, but people who've been transformed by Jesus. And this is what a transformed life looks like. And I'm going to miss, i miss people. I'm going to leave people out. I'm sorry. I have a bad memory. We don't have so much time. I don't see all what goes on. But there have just been so many powerful stories that characterize this church. If you're a college student here, I want to tell you about the people you're sitting with. If you're a visitor here let me tell you about this crazy bunch they're not normal they're not but you've been on instagram you know what normal is we don't want to be that anyway right so let's talk about a few things so um thad noel adams back over here and i haven't told anybody that they're gonna get talked about so i'll just better ask for us some permission so thad noel adams a few years ago little royal had heart surgery and uh, there's gary and jerry adams and then in and Noel, and they have kids and Royals having heart surgery. You know, it's interesting that we, a lot of people would just pray about, oh, help Aunt Minnie get sick and get, get well, you know, and oh, Joey broke his hip and he needs to bit well. And this family not only prayed for healing and wellness, and we prayed for the healing and wellness too, and it was a success. But this is the family that also had a prayer of let us walk this road well. You don't know going into those things what's going to happen at the other side of it. But this family walked that road in a beautiful way knowing that even if things don't go well, we want to be faithful in what God has for us, that God can make things happen for his kingdom that I don't get to choose sometimes. That's what you think about when you're staring down the barrel of a kiddo about to go into anesthesia for a heart surgery and other things like that. But this is the family that walked, that walked that well. And it wasn't, just, again, they're not good people. They will tell you, that wasn't me. We couldn't do that by ourselves. We did that because of our resurrection community and because of the transformation Jesus had in our lives. They would tell you that. I want to talk about Elliot Head. Elliot and Sherry Head are longtime members here, and he owns Paradise Valley Landscape. You may think, landscape? Like, yeah, landscape. Not only is he just a brilliant guru guy for landscape, but he's an amazing follower of Jesus. You know, um, we have this gate back here, and it has to be closed by a city ordinance certain times because of the rain tree traffic and things. And Elliot looked at that back, gate back there and said, you know, that gate doesn't represent God very well. God's not about gates, and you can't come in here. And Elliot helped us develop and, and got a sign to go on that gate, and put a path that goes around the gate. And the sign says, "We want you here. We want you to use this place. This is God's stuff. Come use it." You know, landscape guys who want people to come run on the grass. Landscape guys hate people on the grass. You going break my sprinkler heads? Not Elliot. Elliot sees this whole property whole property, the grass, the trees, how things are set up, the playground, the gate, the parking lot, the fishing pond, he sees all of it as God. And he wants our community to know that God is lush, God is beautiful, he's inviting, he's engaging. Come join us. That's a great man. Kathy Eatson, Kathy Eatson, I have it on good account that Kathy Eatson has taught second grade in this fellowship for over 38 years, 38 years. If you are under the age of 45, a lot of you and have been here during your elementary years, Kathy Edson has taught you the stories of Jesus. She has prayed for you. She has encouraged you. She's probably told you to sit in your seat more times than you probably remember, but she loves you and she wants to invest in you. And Kathy doesn't do it because Kathy's just a good person and Kathy just likes teaching. Kathy has a hunger and a thirst for transformed lives, and she's done it every year for 38 years. Beautiful, beautiful heart. Jerry and Beth Brewer, how welcoming and how kind you have to be before they name a door after you. Literally. Like, where'd you park? I'm at the Jerry and Beth door out there. They've been greeting here so long, and they welcome people so much. They just have hearts to serve. If it's, if it's something going on, Jerry and Beth are there. They, uh, a few months ago, I talked to a friend of mine who finished an AFC, and he's in nursing school in Austin. I called to check on him. I said, how you doing, PJ? He said, I'm doing great. I talked to, Jerry Brewer called me a couple days ago. I said, Jerry Brewer called? Of course Jerry Brewer called you a couple days ago. A friend in Austin. Who was PJ within his intergenerational group. The intergenerational focus of people here to say, you can do it. You can do it. You know, to be able to be... In your early 20s and to see Jerry Brewer and to say, that's where the path I want to be. You can connect those dots a lot easier whenever you have people who are willing to look back and say, you can do it. Come on, let's go. Dean Duncan, a few years ago, showed up at our house with their certificate. My son was playing uh, high school football and had an interception, and ran back for a touchdown called the pick six. And Dean saw it in the paper and said, that's a big deal. And he went on the internet and created a certificate framed it and brought it to our house and my son came out and said hey how you doing mr dean he's like ben that's a big deal what you did i made you a certificate because you need to remember this day that doesn't happen very often isn't that awesome the story my son learned that day was not about football it was about a godly man a godly man who sees people dean was literally five times my son's age Someone five times your age comes up and says, I see you, I think you're awesome, and you should keep it up. That's the resurrection family you're part of. People do that kind of thing. Dan and Meredith Morton. Dan and Meredith Morton are here. In the span of around a year or so, years back, they lost two sons, adults, traumatically. Rex and Timothy had lost two brothers. How sad. How incredibly tragic. As a young dad with three kids, I, walked their, I watched their family. I didn't know them very well. But even through that time, and a lot of you know as well, I learned two words. The two words of Dan and Mary and Morton and their family. Hallelujah anyway. We're going to walk this road, but we're going to praise God doing it. You don't do that because you're a good guy. You don't do that because you just kind of get over things easy. You do that because you have a transformed heart by Jesus Christ. And that's the story that gets shared. My brother Steve Smith, sharing his story years ago at a men's retreat, changed my life. It's your story. Tell your story. Over here, I look at this front row. Love, love worship with you guys. You guys not only have a joy in your heart, you have a smile on your face. And people worship with smiles on their face. Man. Because what I do is I get my mind going in worship. And my heart kind of stays in neutral. But you see someone smiling when you worship. Raising their hands. There's intent. And you guys do such a good job of that. It just helps you get there. You know, Kyle and Breakthrough on Sunday night. We have once a month Sunday night Breakthrough service. What a gift. What a gift. I used to play with Kyle he and Greg and Amsterdam would get to and play guitars occasionally. Kyle wasn't that great. He's, not, he's a lot better than me, but Kyle wasn't that great. It's like three years ago. And now he's able to do this up here. And he's not wanting to be part of the band. Angela, Amy, Leslie, they're not like dying to be in the band, but they know that there are people here who get into worship and who can sit in the presence of God like no other when they do what they do. And we're so glad to be able to celebrate that because it's powerful. And it's selfless on their part to help us do that. That's who you worship with. And we don't even have time to talk about some other things. There's, there was, like I was mentioned the bed build recently out here. I think um, Gary Sheely said they never had so many sanders going. They had 40 sandings machines at once going there. And we didn't lose any fingers, I don't think. Family Promise. There's a youth group singing at Todd Minkler's house when he had cancer and was having trouble. There's a hurricane in 2005. We had over 500 people housed here for the weekend in a brand new building. It was amazing. That's a story from the time as well. Well, as a lot of you know that <clears throat> so you're, talk, you're talking about this, this uh, family and talking about community. If you know me and know my family, you know that the wrong person is speaking up here. You know that my wife is the epitome of community. And I'm just, I'm just in the wake, guys. Really, I'm just back here on the knee board. And there's just this big wake of my wife knowing people in community. And so I'm inviting her up with me today to tell part of this next chapter of something that was incredible that we were blessed by here that reflects well on our resurrection community.
1: Thank you. There's so many stories that could be told today, but one that just hits completely home for Tim and I and for our family um, is this one that we'll tell now. Kiana was here with us this week, a couple of weeks, and she was doing her work from home at our house, and she was one of the ones that is uh, in this story, and, and we talked about what Tim was going to be preaching about today, and we, she had a lot of questions about those months and years in her life, and we did a lot, had a lot of conversations. She's probably watching today. Hi, Kiana. And um, we said, you know, we think this would be a really great story to share about how the, the church came around us, and she said, I think you're right. I want you to share it, so we want to do that. This is Chandra Taylor. These are her three kids. She also had two children that were her um, her nieces that she had CPS custody, um, and they were living with her. Um, she was a member here, and we had a friendship. All our, her family and our family were friends, and we did a lot of things together. Our kids were the same age, um, but we lost touch for a little while in around the 2007 year. And one night, it was December 23rd, it was a Sunday, and Tim called me, he was at the ER at St. Joe's, and he called and he said, Chandra's here, she's not well, uh, it, it's, a grim, it's a grim prognosis, and the kids are all home by themselves. So four of the kids, and the oldest daughter was with, was with Chandra at the hospital, but I, it was, like I said, December 23rd, so I said, I'll go get them. And we'll hang on to them until we find out what to do next. So we went and got, I went and picked the kids up, brought them to the house. There was someone else there who could watch them for a few minutes. We had church here that evening. Some of you may remember that evening. We had church still in the evening um, on Sunday nights. And so I came up here and I grabbed somebody. I said, we've got to have help. We've got to have an announcement. Something's going on. I'm not sure what this is all going to be, but we need help. And they made an announcement and thus began the next several months of our family and Chandra's family being um, basically one family and the church here absolutely supporting us, carrying us through, through times that we had no idea what was coming, but we knew that God had given us the privilege because of our friendship of um, guiding her children through those months surrounding her death and we all needed this family. <laughs> so... Um, All right, go ahead. Um, So it's December 23rd. So that means Christmas was upon us. We didn't have gifts for, their, for, for her kids, and um, thankfully we were in town that week. And um, so we just put out a plea over the email back then and also at church that night and said, we need some presents for these kids, and we need um, maybe some, just some help surrounding this. If anybody's available during Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, talk about a hard time to try to get help. But everybody came and jumped right to it. Um, we know even some people who took presents from their own tree, changed out the tags... Brought them to our house and gave them to to our kids and to Chandra's kids. Um, Go ahead. Um, She had been ill for some time, so laundry had gotten away from her. So we had people, Kathleen and Amy and a lot of others, who came around and just uh, picked up all the laundry, went to the laundromat on Christmas Eve, did all the laundry, brought it clean, and we sorted and sorted and sorted until everybody had just what they needed. Um, And then someone else... Who would not want me to say her name, so I won't, but for every single Monday, for the three months that followed, came to our front door, we put all of our laundry out of 10 of us out onto the front porch. She picked it up on Monday, she took it away, it came back clean and folded. And that was her ministry to us. Such a beautiful, beautiful support. I could never have kept up. It was, it was chaos. So um, we had meals, we had meals almost every night for three months. And the joy of the meal wasn't just the dropping off, but it was coming and staying. Come and stay. Sit with us. Let us know you. So there's some pictures here of various people who did that. Um, Kathy, we have already mentioned her, but she brought a meal every single Thursday night for three months. Mm -hmm. And um, we just got used to seeing her and appreciating her so much. And having all of us around that table together, our family, Chandra's family, and whoever happened to bring the meal that day. Um, Several people... I know Kelly and Sarah I remember them. They came over and just got the Suburban, loaded all the kids up, and took them away. And I don't even know what they did. I was just glad <laughs> and appreciative that they took them away because I could sit down and hear myself think for a few moments. Um, let's see, what's next up there? Mary Scow and Cherry Jackson came over and painted with the girls. They're, as you can imagine, uh, we didn't know how long Chandra, Chandra was going to live in the hospital, but there was there was some... Grief that was already starting, and some, some real um, difficulty with emotions. And Mary knew what a great therapy uh, painting could be, so they came over and painted with the girls, and um, that was such a good blessing. Um, after we got through Christmas, we realized we ha- they had to move. Their situation was that at the end of December, Their their, um, housing was going to have to change, so the house had to be cleaned and it had to be packed. And then we had to be moving to the next place. Jerry and a whole plethora of other people helped Mm -hmm. move us. Jerry came and looked at the air conditioning system, making sure it was working properly. Um, I just can't tell you the armies of people that came and helped get things in shape. Um, Chandra died on January 20th so this whole time, there's all these tangible things, but I know there were just armies of people praying and taking um, us all up before the Lord on, her, on uh, our behalf. And um, we had to plan a funeral. So there were songs. There were my dear friends who sang with us. There were um, 40 and others who came around, and, and many of you came to that funeral, and you remember exactly what I'm talking about. Um, a dear friend who's a lawyer came and sat by her, and me in the hospital bed near the hospital bed, and had helped her sign papers that would make plans for her children's future. Um, so this is this was this was such a hard time, and it was um, it was made softer knowing that we were supported. We were not in this alone, and that the um, the Lord had provided His church community. So this is the family of people who thank so much of our Resurrection community and are so thankful for the many, many ways that you all loved us through a very hard time and um, you really made an impact. So on behalf of these kids who we're still in touch with and our kids and us, thank you.
0: Thanks. Thank you for being our resurrection community. again, this isn't just a collection of good people. It's not like, hey, let's go find some more good people to join our good people because our good people go to church and we act good. These are broken people. No one in this story would tell you this came out of their humanness. It's not out of your humanness. It's not out of my humanness. It's literally out of our brokenness because of Jesus that we can do these things. James tells us every good and perfect gift comes from above. Anything that comes good out of my life at all, it comes from God. And that's where we want it to go, sir. N.T. Wright tells us in his book, Surprised by Hope, that Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's project, not to snatch people away from earth to heaven, but to colonize the earth with the life of heaven. That, after all, is what the Lord's Prayer is about. To colonize earth with the life of heaven. That's it. That's what we sing. That's what I'm telling you today. The life of heaven on earth. That's why we can stand and talk and go through this myriad of things that are going on here. These aren't just good things. This isn't just social justice. This isn't just, hey, a nonprofit starting this thing. This is coming out of the heart that says we've been changed. We've been transformed. And this is what it looks like. May we each be part of a community that continues to celebrate that transformation, hungering for more Jesus, engaging in deep fellowship with each other, praying earnestly, giving sacrificially, and living selflessly. The American scholar Yaroslav Pelikan said very poignantly, if Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ has not risen, nothing else matters. It really does start in them with Christ. That's the so what. That's the Easter message. And if you're not part of a resurrection community, if you don't know who this Jesus guy is, if you know who he is but you're mad at him, don't understand him, if you're kind of ticked at the way that people who claim to be His people act and treat you, you're among friends. We're glad you're here. If you do know who Jesus is and you decide that, you know, I've been in driver's seat way too long. Sin and self are not the master I want to serve because it ain't working. And this Jesus guy sounds like the guy who I'd like to follow. I want to make Him my Lord and Him my Savior. Then we'd love to sit down with you as well. We'd love to hear your story. We'd love to tell you ours. There'll be people in the back at the Welcome Center that you can speak with. Find anyone who was up here this morning to be able to ask those questions to. But don't leave without sharing your story if you need to tell someone that. Thank you for being here this morning. Appreciate your attention. Deed to be back next week. Let's all sing together.
1: Let's go ahead and stand as we continue.